This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. November policy update today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Erica Grotto. Fans of our popular Beyond the News segment will be happy today. We have a lengthened version of the segment. Indeed, Nick and Sean are taking over the entire episode to talk about the many, many things that are happening in healthcare finance news. We'll be back with them in just a minute. This is Sean Stack, HFMA's Director of Perspectives and Analysis, and I'm excited to tell you about our new bi-monthly webinar series designed specifically for hospital executives. HFMA will provide timely updates on the latest national healthcare reimbursement and revenue cycle regulations, policies, and trends. This series will equip you with the knowledge and insights you need to navigate the complex world of your healthcare business office. You can register now at hfma.org under webinars. Hey, everybody, we've got a ton to get to in this segment because what we want to do is preview what's to come in November in the way of healthcare policy. And it is shaping up to be just an action packed month. First, though, given that we talked about regulatory developments in the No Surprises Act in our last episode, we wanted to give an update because there was another proposed rule issued just in the last few days before we recorded this segment. This one's an effort by Health and Human Services and the other two federal government departments to improve the arbitration process in an effort to try to reduce the just the absurd backlog of cases that's really been gumming up the whole system. Sean, my initial reading is that uh, unlike the situations that we discussed last time, which were continued problems with the qualifying payment amounts and controversy over the fees involved in the arbitration process, this new rule, if nothing else, represents a worthwhile effort it's basically calling for more precise processes leading up to a case being arbitrated. And, and that's to hopefully ensure that there are fewer ineligible cases bogging everything down. But what's your take on this proposal? And is there a danger of added administrative burden on the parties? I, I don't feel that way. Um, yeah, the Department of Treasury, the Department of Labor, and the Department of Health and Human Services came out the end of last week and proposed several new, like you were saying, Nick, technical directives as it applies to the federal independent dispute resolution operations. A lot of this proposed language centers around the eligibility validation of the IDR entities, um, verifying that the independent dispute resolutions that have that have been filed are eligible for the process and aren't something that should be handled at the state level. 
you know, they're introducing new CARC and RARC codes or asking for new CARC and RARC codes to be assigned to the IDR process, to the No Surprise Act process, where when the payer or insurer issues that denial or that reimbursement for out-of-network services, they have to attach a very specific CARC or RARC code to that 835 and let the provider know whether this payment qualifies for the No Surprise Act. I mean, I think this is a great step in the right direction, but as usual, I'm a little disappointed. There's really no fine point on who's going to be policing this process, who's going to be holding each party accountable for the new proposed rules. And I think that's where we have seen CMS continue to fall short day after day, putting out these rules and regulations. We still don't see any audits or compliance coming out on behalf of the insurers not participating in the No Surprise Acts open negotiation periods, which is talked a great deal about in this rule. So I think a great step forward, but the true meat is in the regulatory body that's going to oversee this. And are they going to hold everyone accountable for the right actions, right? Yeah, that's where the rubber meets the road. So a lot to keep our eye on and stakeholders have until I believe the week of January 2nd to lodge comments on the rule. And hopefully HHS will consider that feedback before publishing the final rule. You know, there's there's still a significant, almost half a million, what, 400 and some thousand IDR disputes still pending out there that have been filed recently. So, I mean, there's a lot to get through. And the proposed rule does do a nice job in Table 1 in outlining all the new provisions and existing provisions in that process. So take a look at that and make sure you read through that table one in the rule pretty closely. I'll give you a nice overview. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so moving on to what's in store for November, you know, it just so happens that we're recording this on Halloween. And in that spirit, Sean, would you say off the cuff, uh, would you expect that the next month is going to bring more tricks or more treats for stakeholders? Or maybe it's too early to say. (laughs) Uh, I think a combination of both. You know, we have OPPS should be coming out here, the final rule on OPPS pretty soon. We'll see what kind of market at basket increase we're getting there. We'll see the 340B remedy coming out. Nick, I know you're following that really closely. We'll see what's going to happen there as far as the budget neutrality impacts of, of that remedy and the Medicare advantage. Will CMS step up and say anything or give any clear direction on how Medicare advantage plans should be paying back that underpayment for those four years, or will they remain silent because it's not really the plan's responsibility to pay that money back? Or, you know, will CMS step up and pay that those payments back to the providers? There's a lot moving in that proposed remedy. Um, what do you think of that 340B proposed rule, Nick? I think we'll see that soon. Yep, yeah, we, we certainly suspect that the upcoming months will we'll see that final rule setting the terms and, and timeline of the remedy payments due to 340B hospitals. Again, these payments are are owed as a result of HHS's underpayments uh, to those 340B hospitals during about a four and a half year stretch ending in late 2022. Uh, payments are set to total about $9 billion. If you peruse the payment projections that were put out for each individual hospital a few months back, it's quite a lot of money in many cases, more than 200 hospitals are in line for a payment, more than $10 million each, including two 
that are looking at getting more than a hundred million dollars. Yeah, Nick, and on the fee for service side, talking to many of our member hospitals, the executives that work in reimbursement and do the daily reimbursement work, they're saying that those payments that were put out there by CMS were eerily accurate. They were within pennies of of what they had calculated themselves. So lots of money hanging in the balance there. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, I was wondering if those projections were very, on the mark. So it, it yeah, sounds like Yeah, everyone that we spoke to about 30 some hospitals said those estimates of that payback or that offset were very accurate. So is the budget neutrality issue, that's something that ideally would change from the proposed rule to the final rule, because all hospitals are looking at taking a haircut in their outpatient payments over the next uh, decade and a half or so. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, you're looking at a market basket offset of what, negative 0.5 Plus, you're looking at a decrease in non-pharmaceutical outpatient services, you know, because that initial cut back in, what was it, 2018 or 2019 was taken, the cut was taken on 340B, but then it was pumped back into the hospital, HOPD, the hospital outpatient fee schedule. So they're clawing that increase back. So yeah, there's a lot moving there. And then you know, the payback only addresses, as we've talked about in the past, Nick, the fee-for-service 340B reimbursement. It doesn't address the Medicare Advantage cut in reimbursement for those four years. So there's just so much moving there. And so we were just talking about budget neutrality in the context of 340B remedy payments. Budget neutrality also reared its head in the Medicare physician fee schedule for 2024. That final rule is due out any day now. In the proposed rule, there was a payment decrease projected in part because of statutory budget neutrality stemming from increases in payment for certain services. And certainly some specialties would be affected more than others in terms of the net change. Now, CMS generally doesn't seem to think it has leeway to modify budget neutrality, right? So to avoid this decrease, or at least lessen it, would probably take an act of Congress, would you say? Yes, I would agree. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Congress in just a second. But before we get to that, we're also likely to see in November, as you said, Sean, the final rule for the outpatient prospective payment system. There was only a 2.8% increase for hospitals in the proposed rule, which doesn't seem so bad when you consider the projected change to physician payments. But certainly hospitals wanted more and could use more. (laughs) The increase might go up by a little bit based on changes in economic inputs, kind of like what happened with the uh, inpatient prospective payment system this year for FY24. Uh, but that remains to be seen as as so much does. And then also part of the OPPS rule are changes to price transparency requirements. I remember you and Erica talked about this on a prior episode, but real quick, what are you going to be looking for as far as potential updates from the proposed rule? Yeah, so really looking in that final rule, whether or not the enforcement actions are going to roll out, the reporting and enforcement actions are going to roll out January 1st, which I think there's a strong probability that that those will move forward January 1st. And that is that, you know, hospital executive at the system level, not at the hospital level, if it's a multi-hospital system, has to certify that the machine-readable files and price estimator tools are accurate in pricing and accurate in methodology. So that's a big change for hospitals. And that all will be reported. Any type of compliance audit or procedure will be recorded on a public-facing website. That's something that hospitals will have to deal with most likely going into 2024. 
I hope and pray that we get a little bit of relief from the standard schema that is proposed to go live March 1st of 2024. And that's the new MRF schema that's coming out from CMS. I think it's a great idea, but I just think it's too heavy of a lift to stand up in, what, four months now. And that's going to be quite a bit of a lift for hospitals to stand up and a lot of administrative burden. So we'll see what happens there. I think we might get a little reprieve on the standard schema, possibly maybe July 1st, but we'll see. We asked for 1-1-2025, but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't know what you think, Nick, but Congress is putting a lot of stress on CMS to really push transparency. So I think, you know, they're trying to hold Congress off or support Congress's requests. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And speaking of Congress, can they get their act together in time to, uh, first of all, keep the government funded past November 17th? And then regarding healthcare funding specifically, there's a lot on the line at that same deadline. Medicaid disproportionate share hospital funding, as we've discussed previously, could take a multi-billion dollar hit if there's no legislation passed to hopefully cancel out or at least delay that hit. Graduate medical education, among other programs, also will need to be funded. So Congress really needs to make that happen, right? We don't know for sure if they will, but keeping these programs going at their current levels just doesn't seem like a luxury at this point. I agree, Nick. Hospitals and healthcare providers are just really under the gun here with uncompensated care continuing to increase. Um, I think Centella's put out a performance monitoring report not very long ago, maybe like in July, saying that hospitals nationally have seen uncompensated care increase by a third. I think it was from around 6.4% to 8.7% the first quarter of 2023. We're going to see that continue to climb, not only for Medicaid disenrollment through the administrative Medicaid process, but also just high cost deductible plans really are hitting consumers at an all-time high. You know, the bronze plant can be over $9,000 in annual out-of-pocket. That's a lot of money for hospitals and for patients to offset in that uncompensated care pool. So lots to watch there. And really, I agree with you, a lot on the line there for that uncompensated care issue that we're all facing and DISH issue. Yep. So just a ton of stuff on our radars, both on Capitol Hill and elsewhere in, in Washington, D.C., We'll be tracking it all in our news coverage and in upcoming episodes, I'm sure. But in the meantime, Sean, many thanks for the analysis. Thank you, Nick. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional writing and research are done by Nick Hutt, Sean Stack, and the HFMA editorial staff. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the director of content. Our president and CEO is Ann Jordan. Whoops, the lamb just fell into the grinder. Not sure I've heard that expression before. <laughs> <laughs>